Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to the ECM podcast. I'm Caroline Fontanieu, and I'm very happy to host this series that will take you behind the scenes of new music on ECM Records. In this new episode, I'm meeting together Joe Lovano and Jacob Bro. For this interview, we met in a not-so-quiet place in New York City to discuss their tribute to Pole Motion in their latest ECM project, Once Around the Room. Joe and Jacob talk about this project, the influence of Pole Motion in their music and their life, and the importance of transmission. I think, like, this recording, Once Around the Room, was an incredible session uh, that took some beautiful shapes and sounds within the music. Uh, Jakob and I both contributed original compositions uh, that I would say were really influenced by Paul's playing uh, and his ideas about uh, construction and uh, sequencing of uh, sounds feelings. Uh, Paul's inspiration was uh, ran very deep man, in the history of jazz, not just for us, but for, uh, for everyone that were, were lucky enough to embrace you know, his music and his approach. And uh, it turned out to be a tribute to him, you know, in a certain way, but That wasn't that wasn't like overbearing on the session at all. You know, it was like we were inspired by Paul in every setting that we play. Every setting that I, I play, and Paul is uh, his ideas and approach about creating music within the music and sharing the space uh, comes into all of my projects and my music. But this was a special session because everybody had relationships with Paul. Mm -hmm. And it was like a little orchestra sound with the three basses and the dub two percussion, two drummers, you know. And uh, Jacob's atmospheric sounds and feelings. And uh, for me, it was really a, a, a beautiful setting to really try to be clear and make statements and phrasing, my phrasing, you know, uh, melodically, to create melodic rhythm. And from playing with Paul through the years, which uh, I first started to play with him in 1981, until his passing in 2011, you know, uh, was a major part of my development as a musician and realizing the depth of what it means to improvise, the art of improvising, you know, sharing the space. And those things really came into uh, how we played together. It wasn't even like what we played, it was how we played. Mm -hmm. It was beautiful. Yeah, and also for me, like, it was such a high point or milestone in my life to meet Paul and to be invited into his group. And somehow, Like most of my collaborations today are sort of, they can all sort of point back to Paul in a way. So he was the first one, and then it all sort of like started spreading. <laughs> um, 
and for that reason also it was really wonderful, I think, to go into the studio with some of the people that I met through Paul and that I started like musical journeys with uh, after him also, and, and then just like combining people. Uh, yeah, for that reason also it was really beautiful, I think. It's like a family. He, he created a family, I think. Yeah. So, <clears throat> and uh, I was just like immensely proud to be a part of that, of course. <laughs> I'd like to to continue that somehow. Do you both remember the first time you met him? I, I mean, the thing is, like. I didn't dream of this being, uh, being like, uh, like uh, materializing. I, I, it was a dream I had, of course, to play with Paul, but I never thought it was going to happen. And I still remember uh, getting an email from Steve Cardenas that was uh, where he's uh, confirming that Paul had talked about using me for the Bebop band, but Wolfgang Mutzbiel uh, was already sort of involved. And I remember getting that email and seriously just like wanting to to upscale it and frame it, <laughs> I was like, Paul Motion had thought of me for his band. But then a week later, he co I got the gig because uh, Wolfgang couldn't make that tour, so I didn't even get a chance to, you know, to frame the email uh, about maybe getting into Paul Motion's group. So it, it, that's how much it meant to me somehow. And 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 I met him first time in in Italy, yeah, at a hotel. He came in with his symbol bag and he gave me a hug and almost like lifted me off the ground. <laughs> He said, let's go to a rehearsal space, I want to hear how you play. So No pressure. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> no, but I saw, you know, his niece sent me all the notes from that tour and he was very, yeah, he, he was really kind, uh, kind to me, both uh, yeah, in writing, but also we had a really good uh, connection, I think. So it was, yeah, beautiful meeting. <laughs> yeah, nice story. First time I was in the room with Paul was hearing him with the Keith Jarrett Quartet in Boston, 1972. I think that recording Fort Yawa just yes. came out. So with Dewey Redman and Charlie Hayden, Paul and Keith, and I went every night. You know, I played like for a week, and it was just amazing to be in the room with that music, the way those cats played together, and paid attention to each other, and created. This music, you know, but I didn't meet Paul that night. But it put sent me to the woodshed because that's know. those were the cats I wanted to play with. You knew of them. Well, I grew up listening to Paul, yeah. uh, Bill Evans, and all of the things that he had done, you know. Mm. And uh, that music, I was in the audience, you know, for all those recordings, you know. And then hearing him live in the room. Feeling the spirit, the expression, also Dewey, Charlie, you know, those are the cats I wanted to play with. Ten years later I started to play with them, joined Paul's band in 81. So, 1979 or so, I went to hear Paul play, the, he played in New York at the Public Theater uh, on a concert with his trio, Charles Brackeen. J.F. Jenny Clark, which had been recording for ECM also at that time. Uh, 
they had a couple of beautiful recordings, La Voyage, Dance. Yeah. Some of the tunes that I ended up playing and recording with Paul from, that he had written for that trio. And they played opposite Dewey Redmond's quartet at the Public Theater. So I went down there and I was with uh, this master guitarist, Bill D'Arango, who had played with Ben Webster and Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie <laughs> and others. He was from Cleveland and he was on the 52nd Street scene with Ben and everybody in the 40s. Anyway, Bill knew Paul, and we went to the concert together, and uh, Bill introduced me to Paul that night, you know, and that led to uh, going to his pad, playing with him, and basically auditioning, because yeah. he was rehearsing with Mark Johnson on bass and Bill Frizzell on guitar in 1981. He started, he wanted to put a new band together, and I was at a association with Mark Johnson and Mark uh, brought my name up to Paul and he remembered meeting me and I was on the Mel Lewis Jazz Orchestra at that time with Mark playing uh, the Village Vanguard every Monday night. So the one Monday Mark says, yeah, this Friday you want to come up and uh, Paul's listening and hearing some saxophone players. You know, yes. Let's expand the trio. <laughs> so I went up there and that was it. That was the beginning of a 30 year yeah. yeah. Relationship and, and also for Bill Frizzell. Yeah. Because Bill had just started to rehearse with Paul and he didn't have any gigs. You know? <laughs> but he had a lot of music. And uh, he was projecting some stuff mm -hmm. that ended up happening. And uh, that later that year we, we recorded the song for ECM. My first uh, meeting with Manfred. We recorded in Tone Studio Bauer in mm -hmm. Germany. Well, back to the back to the project. Um, it's a very special band, it's a very special little orchestra, as you called it. Um, who, I think you came up with this idea, with this lineup. How, how, how did you create this whole little orchestra? <laughs> I mean, we were in touch about what to do yeah, we for were a while, just talking like about a collaboration. And yeah, Jakob suggested the bass situation and, and we all just spoke of because we all have relationships together but yeah. the main idea I think was that all the cats had played with Paul yeah. especially the basses yeah. you know? of course Joey Barron and Jorge never played with Paul no. big influences they're yeah. disciples but they have, they have their own way of playing so that little percussion section you know came together but I think uh, you know Jakob had some beautiful ideas about uh, the, the, the three bases, it's great. Yeah. Man. It's beautiful. Yeah. Plus, it also like like you said, it, it, it's more about the persons than the instruments somehow. And there was, you know, if I ask, if we ask Thomas, then we, I felt like we had to ask Larry as well because mm -hmm. he also had a deep relationship with Paul. And if we had those two, it would be unfair to Anders, who also played. But it just felt like they, it's it's a natural sort of decision. And it also, also for me reflected the, 
you know, the, my playing in Polish groups was always like, with, almost always with two instruments and there are two persons on each instrument. Like the people band would be either two or even three guitar players, either two horns or two basses. And so it wasn't really a, I never thought of it as a, yeah, as something peculiar or anything. It seemed natural like this. started the date with an idea that peace sound creation yeah uh, and it was like just a, a score an unwritten score mm -hmm. and we went around the room and we improvised <laughs> this piece like once around the room and we created all our parts together but there was a, there was an idea about mm -hmm. the, the sequence of things you know yeah. And that started the whole session, and that I think was a nice springboard into totally. an approach about the music, you know. And then I had written a tune called "For the Love of Paul," and Paul had a tune called "For the Love of Sarah." I don't know if you ever played that tune. I've never played it, but I know it was for his sister. And I always that I'm not sure if it's on the story of Marion. It's on one of the recordings, yeah. maybe with the quintet with Jim Pepper and Ed Schubert. But uh, for the love of Sarah, it was one of these pieces, man. Just the title alone gives you an idea about maybe how to approach playing something that had that kind of a title. So one of my pieces was called For the Love of Paul. Mm -hmm. And then As It Should Be is another title that is about a way of playing and trying to create music within the music together. As it should be. Yeah, and everything sort of turned out as it, as it should, in a way, because we were, I mean, we had like two days of recording, basically, and everybody arrived, I think it was Sunday, and you, and you came in on Monday, and we were supposed to basically just like meet and greet. Joe came at 3.30, 3.45 or something, and then we would just be maybe doing one or two takes, and then go out to eat, and then the Tuesday we would start recording. But then, and we did go out to eat, like at 6.30 or something, but we just finished the, the recording before that, which was like, and I mean, at that time I didn't even really know, so we, we, we come into the studio on Tuesday and start listening, and I'm, I'm prepared to do a whole day of different music, and we just realized that we have enough for at least two albums already. We had the day, and that's when yeah. we did Paul's tune. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah, that's the second the yeah. Tuesday. <clears throat> yeah. We did it. Take on drum music. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. That was it. It was a real magical experience yeah. Yeah, for all so of us. You realized, I mean, Jacob, you told Joe when you got into the studio that it was by chance 10th yes. of Paul's death. Right. Yeah. And 
I'm sure it was really special in the room. Like, tell me about the vibe in the room. Like, all of you together at the, the recording room. Like, uh, you were all around the room. Yeah, we all flew, <laughs> yeah. played kind of in a circular yeah. uh, setup, and we could see each other. You know, I mean, I was Jakob was there, and the two drummers were right in front of me, and the Anders and the bassist yeah. here, and so. I was kind of maybe in the center yeah. in a way, but uh, facing everybody, everyone had a good visual right, yeah. vantage points. Yeah. And just so, so there was a lot of cueing that happened just by looking at each other. Because there was no rehearsal. <laughs> you can't rehearse the unknown. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> celebrate with a joyous feeling and move it into tomorrow. You have to reach forth from those inspirations from mm -hmm. uh, people in your life that might not be here physically with you, but spiritually are uh, with you. Mm -hmm. And you're representing also for yourself. You have to be yourself. And you can't let that uh, that whole trip kind of hold you back mm. you know you can't let the gatekeepers hold you back they have to move you forward you know uh, but it's also about who you are and how you perceive yourself some people are, are repeaters you know and they they want to play with the sound of someone that they love you know they're, they're held back with that approach, you you you, you can't copy somebody's sound because your sound is your approach, and uh, you know you can maybe for two seconds uh, sound like somebody. A lot of people channel and sound try to sound like Mike Brecker. Let's just as an example, Mike's influence is so huge and made such an impact, and you can maybe have about two minutes. When you have to play and create music and uh, play for 10 minutes, 
gets boring because you're just repeating some things you practiced instead of finding yourself in, in an approach about melody and rhythm and to do things that Mike did to play the way he played. Mm. You know, it's not just the tone of the yeah. situation. Yeah. You know, it's it's the approach about how to share the space with people. You know, so it's a trap like for a lot of young cats that just transcribe and copy, mm. you know. Um, there's a way to be influenced by how somebody plays without copying them and let it move you. But that's also something, I think like the way we are all connected in a way, like in music, it does, that's a really beautiful thing. You know, like people are not here anymore, but you can still trace them back through different other musicians who are now the playing and I think there's something really beautiful about listening to like you can you can hear Stanko in in different trumpet players like a little bit of it and you can hear that it's like a family tree somehow that we are all sort mm -hmm. of uh, we were all sort of listening to each other and are all connected in a way trying to you know, just make little changes that makes the music fit where we are at right now somehow Yeah. But, uh, you have to have confidence and a lot yeah. of trust. And also it comes from a piece yeah. of gratitude, I feel. Like, the more open you are being grateful for what you learn from mm. those people, those heroes, the, the more open you are to be yourself with all of those influences. Mm -hmm. And the more you put yourself in situations where you're standing toe-to-toe -to -toe with folks. Mm. You know, I'll never forget when I played a concert with Johnny Griffin and Teddy Edwards and Vaughn Friedman. It was a saxophone night, jazz at Lincoln Center, mid-90s. And all of a sudden, I'm in the mix of these three complete masters. But they each had their own approach, you know, their own sound. And I brought mine in, and I was asked to be a part of that because I, I think because I was starting to find myself and I sounded like myself and I got next to Johnny Griffin man. <laughs> you know, who was one of my idols and like the way he played the horn was phenomenal but it was always the music that drove him to play the horn like that. You know, he didn't just play as a technical virtuoso for that outcome. He was a virtuoso but he was playing ideas <laughs> and uh, He lifted the rhythm section. A lot of cats, like the, the, they play the rhythm section, lifts them. Johnny Griffin lifted the rhythm section, man. Mm -hmm. And so did so many others. Sonny, a lot of saxophone players, you could really talk, you could hear how they lift. Mm -hmm. And But there, it's follow, lead and follow. You're in and out, you know, you're, you're in and out of the whole thing when you're playing with a drummer in a rhythm section. Drummer will lead you sometimes. Sometimes you lead the drummer. Mm -hmm. But you have to be able to do that in your approach. You know? And uh, playing with Paul was incredible because he would count, you know, he would come in on a theme. It might be a noty theme, like let's say a dance. Da 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 And instead of playing all those notes with you, Paul will go boom. Do, 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 da, 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 da. 
you know, and he would give you accents that would make you play the theme different than if he was just playing along with you. I guess, like what you mentioned, the, the actual session we did in Copenhagen, I mean, that was all the month up to that session. I mean, was, Paul was so present to me in a way because I was listening to all the music that he'd made and <clears throat> was writing music with, with this session in mind. So, I, but, I, but then when, once we were in the studio, as you say, it was, yeah, it was a recording session where we, where we just played music together, of course. Yeah, but the dance between you two was very natural. That was not. It's not a dance yeah. project. It's, it was really dense. It's I all mean, about listening. Yeah, yeah. I, re I mean, I was still because I'm a, like listening to Paul's music. Of course, I've also been heavily influenced influenced by Joe, and and um, it's been a I don't know a lifelong dream of mine to actually to to be able to play some music with him. So for me, it was a, that was probably the most wild thing from in during that day was that to actually record with you and, mm -hmm. and the first thing you wanted to do was sound creation you were like yeah Jakob and I start together <laughs> or I start and then Jakob comes in and I'm like yeah what 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 do you, what, what do you want to play <laughs> and, and that, that you didn't say and I was like okay this is this is interesting <laughs> so the tape is rolling and Joe starts playing and I mean talk about feeling like somebody threw you off an extremely high cliff like <laughs> Um, yeah, but no, but you follow the sound and yeah, you feel yeah. what each other's feeling yeah. and you try to but contribute that's the, and yeah. a question and answer and then it, 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 yeah, it, it, make it, took, shape, <laughs> it took shape so beautiful, you know? Yeah, but it's, I'm just saying for me that was uh, another really, also, of course, meaningful experience, but also something I learned a lot from. It's like, yeah. and that's... As a young musician, what happens when you're playing with the great masters? Like when I played with Stanko, it was also like, yeah, I didn't know what he was talking about before we went on stage. But when, <laughs> once he started playing, I could feel it. The same with Paul. Like I was standing next to him when he was just like, I can't even describe it in words. It was just, uh, I feel so grateful, like to have had that experience uh, and playing with you also. And it's like, I think that's a lot of beauty uh, in the fact that different generations also meet and, and create music and we all sort of tying the history of music together in, 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 and, and one thing that I'm really grateful about is that I feel like I can always be myself within all of this yeah, uh, yeah I feel like I can be myself in Joe's company when we're playing which is yeah it's pretty wild somehow <laughs> uh, you know the one thing man there's a lot of cats who play very academic, yeah. which had nothing to do with how we play together, yeah. or how we play at all. You know, Paul 
knew all the rudiments and he could play a march, he could do whatever he felt was called for. But it was very unacademic and it was uh, creative mm -hmm. and it was about expression and uh, trying to find the inner music, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's how the session went for us and that's uh, how, how we are as musicians. You know? Some cats who play academic, that's all they can do. They can't break out of that. Yeah, that, that you we said don't have to name names at yeah. all. <laughs> you can't No, <laughs> you hear it and you know it in the first phrases. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? And, and some good. really great players. Yeah. Some amazing virtuosic musicians on every, inst every instrument, you know. But it's a difference, man, between like a Buddy Rich type player, which is amazing, yeah. and a Paul Motion type player. Yeah, you can practice the unknown, which is like for me a growing sort of fascination about music, really. Like, just. And it's endless. Yeah, what is, like, what is it that makes me want to keep being in music and keep wanting to express myself through most music. It's like, I, I can't even put it into words, which is what I find to be the reason why I keep doing it also, yeah. somehow. And is it me, <laughs> or the cover is a reference to I Have the Room well, yeah. Above Her? Probably, yeah. The trio record, I yeah. Have the Room Above Her? I think that's a was reference. It's a very similar cover, Yeah. you know, and uh, once around the room. Yeah. I think Manfred, you know, Manfred's his post-production genius is like uh, clear to every project, every record <laughs> that he's produced through the years. And his, his pay, he pays attention and he knows oh, yeah. all kinds of things uh, yeah. about that. But I think it's a little winky. Yeah, I think definitely so, for yeah. sure. So it's, it's Manfred's tribute to Paul yeah. also. Yeah. And it's know. so special. Because at the beginning, we never spoke about, yeah, let's do a tribute to Yeah, no, no, yeah. But, Plus, but, but it, it, it was clear that it was a, we all came together and know each other from playing with Paul through the years, you know? That cover and the whole feeling of that. Yeah, but I mean, also the title, because you, you, you were saying, let's do an improvisation. And right. we, we, we played a little improvisation, each of us. I still remember Anders. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you said that, because he was like standing, he had Larry Grenadier and Thomas Morgan, and then he was with his electric bass, and he was like, okay, so you, Anders, you start improvising. Yeah, right. Solo. <laughs> Man, I've never seen him that pale. <laughs> like, <laughs> also, knowing that, like, when, when I met Anders, he was like the, the Broadway albums, everything with promotion. He was like. Oh, right. It, it's like his, uh, yeah, but it's like his Bible. So it was a big deal, of course. But then once we had done that circle, you looked, there was a camera then, you looked into the camera and made like a little magic. Uh, oh, yeah. And, just, and then you said, once, one, let's call that Once Around the Moon. Once around. But that actual like, uh, song didn't make it onto the album. Yeah. And we were talking about different titles, and then Manfred wrote us an email and saying, Do you like the title Once Around the Moon? So he was also, he had a big influence on the title as well somehow. Yeah. Because, For sure. And that, that whole thing, I have the room above her, is, is, is an old vaudeville song or something that Paul yeah. brought in for the trio that we had played. And uh, that turned out to be the title cut for that record. But yeah. I think the, the whole, all of the other repertoire on that record was Paul's too. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. 
we did two sessions, the last two sessions, time and time again. Mm -hmm. And I haven't room above it. Those are the last two trio dates for men yeah. the ECM. And both of them came together like this date did in, this, in the studio mm -hmm. as we just moved from piece to piece. And once we had the form, mm -hmm. we stopped. That's, that's it. There's no other takes of other things yeah. with trio session where we recorded a lot of tunes and yeah. it was narrowed down to these these pieces that are yeah. in session on the day. funny because mm -hmm. Tony Mallaby was there and Chris Cheek and all and it was like people were all like oh Manfred is going to be here and I was that was here in New York yeah too, I was right? in New York and yeah. I, I was too young to even really realize be frightened about that and I had Paul Motion over there I had yeah like I said Chris Cheek and Tony Mallaby and Jerome Harris was there mm -hmm. and Ben Monda and Steve I, I had plenty to worry about <laughs> so you know it was my my foremost sort of uh, job I felt like was okay don't fuck it up. Yeah. <laughs> so and um, and then I remember going to the Vanguard with Paul Ocean's group, maybe six months later or something. And, and the first thing Paul says to me is like, "Yeah, I just mixed with Manfred, and he really liked just your playing," mm. which was just like, "I yeah, I don't know." It was quite uh, overwhelming in a way. And then Manfred was the one that sort of, I guess, for that reason, got me with, with Stanko. Yeah. yeah with whom I toured for five, six years yeah. after that. Yeah, yeah. He recommended you to, to yeah. Thomas. Yeah. yeah, that's what Thomas told me and then... Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, so yeah. it was, and then, yeah, then we spoke about maybe doing a, an album under my own name and he was like, yeah, but I'd like you to, to work some more with Stanko first. So he was also a very, very important, uh, he has a, played a very important part of my sort of uh, career in a way. And then he, he suggested a trio album as my debut as a leader for ECM, which mm -hmm. at that time I was not, like, I wasn't hearing it at all. I was like, me, <laughs> me a guitar a trio record, let's get a horn player in there and remove some focus from me in a way. But Manfred was like, no, you did a lot of albums where there was, where there was like a, a hole that was working, but let's have you in a more... In the spotlight. Yeah. And, and at that time, yeah, it, he, 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 it felt like that, that sort of put me on a path in a way and he almost forced me to, to make some new decisions with my music, which, yeah. It's beautiful. There's, yeah. A, there's a philosophy about, we were talking about the family, the community, the, 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 the loyalty. Hmm. Uh, there, there is a philosophy with ECM and with Manfred Aisha's work that goes so perfectly well with Paul's approach of, hmm. of uh, yeah, loyalty. I can. I, I think mm -hmm. I can use that word. Yeah, and Manfred has a lot of wisdom, man. And, yeah, uh, and he uh, having his embrace is really beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And then you know, John Christensen was playing on my first trio album, and John had a huge history with ECM, yeah. of course. And yeah. then it's just like connect. You were talking about yeah, the all these different yeah. yeah. So and then once if you ask about. All the people that are not here anymore, for me, it's not about grief or sorrow, it's about joy it's and being really grateful and, mm -hmm. yeah, and celebrate that we've had the opportunity to meet and create something beautiful together. Mm -hmm. 
Thank you so much, gentlemen. Yeah. I wish it could be three hours, but um, it's really nice. Thank we'll you. get together again. Of course we will. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Jolovanu and Jakob Bro about their album Once Around the Room, tribute to Paul Motion. Thank you for joining, choosing and listening to our ECM podcast. I'm Caroline Fontagneux and I look forward to sharing more music with you in the next episode.